0: Good morning, church. So good to be back with you. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, I was here a few weeks ago, um, and I have to tell you as I begin this morning, I think I think God has smiled on me lately. And let me let me tell you why. I was preaching in Indianapolis over the last several weeks, and if you're a college basketball fan, you know that was a great place to be over the last several weeks and so I was there for each of the weeks of the tournament got to go to one of the games of the tournament so it was wonderful to be able to be there to preach at a congregation in Indianapolis during the final four but then I arrived here this morning and I find out that I will be here during the Pitmaster competition I mean (laughs) God is like smiling on me he's bringing me to all these wonderful places it's just fantastic it's great to be with you again I know that you're in the midst of a search process. It was good to hear an update this morning. I know that this time is filled with anxiety on the one hand and great excitement on the other. And so know that I and many others uh, at ACU right now are praying for you. I'm praying that this process goes well. And we too are praying for that family that God is already preparing to come be a part of this church family. So excited for you in that respect. As I begin this morning, I want to ask you to consider this very easy question. Why are we here? I don't mean here, like in this building. You're here in this building because you're tired of being home. It's it's, it's great that we can come and be together and congregate again. Not in this room. Why are we here on the earth? Why are we here on this planet? What are we doing here? I remember considering that question, Um, perhaps for the first time, I was in high school as a teenager in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I remember sitting in a high school English class, and we were reading literature from around the world, and our teacher was asking us to consider this, this fundamental question, why are we here, why does all of this exist, what is the purpose of life? And you know, we're not the first people to ask that question, in fact, for centuries, people have been asking that fundamental question why are we here what is life all about and there are probably as many answers to that question as there are stars in the sky In the time in which we live um, probably most of the responses to that question come to us from scientists and we could talk all afternoon about all the, the multi, many answers that are provided by scientists as to why we're here. But if you were to take all of them together and boil them down, most of them come down to this. They would say, we're here by chance. It just happened. Sometime back in the far, far distant past, there was a, there was a flash, there was a bang, and, and everything happened. It was, it was hurled into its place. And in fact, it would say, we're still moving at a rapid speed. But however they describe it, they would say we're here by chance. It just happened. I had a friend once who offered an analogy that at the very least problematized that idea that we're here by chance. And he put it this way. He said, imagine that you are playing the game Scrabble. Do you remember the game Scrabble? If you're unfamiliar with the game Scrabble, it comes with these tiny little game pieces, tall, small little wooden blocks. On one side, there's nothing. On the other side, there's a letter. And the game is you. Put the letters together to spell words. He said, suppose you arrived home, you're in college, you have a roommate, you arrive home back at your apartment. The apartment is empty, but on the floor there in the middle of the living room are these scrabble pieces. He said, suppose you arrived home, empty apartment, scrabble pieces on the floor, and you look down and all of them, all 100 pieces are faced up where you can see the letters. He said, what's more likely that they just fell out of the box that way? all 100 pieces, all facing up, or that before your roommate left, he went in and turned those face up. He said, or better yet, consider this. You arrive home, empty apartment, scrabble pieces on the floor, all faced up. But this time, those scrabble pieces are arranged in such a way that they spell out a message. I borrowed your blue sweater. Thanks. What's more likely, he said, That they just fell out of the box that way, face up, spelling this message to you. Or before your roommate left, he left you a message. Church, we're not here by chance. I don't know how God did it. I really don't. Maybe that's a question for another day. I don't know how God did it, but I know this. God created the world. God created you. God created you. And there's so much evidence in the world that indicates that we are not here by chance. There's too much precision and too much detail in the world. Have you noticed this? We are just the perfect distance away from the sun. If we were any further away, we would freeze. If we were any closer, we would burn up. If there are doctors in this room, they would tell us that our body is filled with various complex systems that all work together to sustain life within us. For centuries, in the beginning of time, the sun has provided daylight in the day. The sun is, is gone in the, in the night, but you have the moon and the stars, and they've illuminated and allowed people to travel around the world. In other words, church, we arrived in a world where the Scrabble pieces were all facing up, and there's a distinct message. We're not here by chance. But that brings us back to this fundamental question. Why are we here? Why did God create all of this? Have you ever read those stories of creation and the beginning of Genesis very closely? And don't worry, I'm not going to read all of Genesis 1 and 2 to you this morning. In fact, I think most of us are probably familiar with some of the highlights of those stories. If you were to go back in Genesis 1, for example, and you just kind of move through the story, you read in Genesis 1, God made the light and it was good. God made the earth, God made the seas, and they were good. God made the plants and the trees, and they were good. God made the sun and the moon, and they were good. God made animals and humans, and they were good. So here's some Bible tribute for you. What is the first thing in all of creation that was not good? I hear hear some answers out there. It doesn't take long to find it. All through chapter 1, everything is good. Chapter 2, God made the human beings, the earth, everything is really good. And then you get down to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. See, it doesn't take very long. Genesis 2, 18 says this. Then God said, It is not good that this man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. See, the very first thing in all of creation that is declared not good is man's aloneness. Because in our being, in our very essence, we were created to be in community. We were created to be relational beings. Genesis chapter 1, 27, key passage in all of the Bible. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now what we, what we understand from this very key text here early in scripture is that we were made in the image of a relational, communal God. What I mean by that is, is that God is a God of community. God is one, but God is three persons. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And these three things working together form the perfect, seamless community. You cannot have a tighter community than Father, Son, and Spirit, one God. And we were created in that image. In other words, church, we were created to be relational beings. We were created to be in community just as God is community and God's self. We were not made to be alone. We were made to relate To one another. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. But being made in the image of God means even more than that. In one of his pastoral letters, John says something very interesting about God. I want you to hear what he writes, and we've already heard it a couple of times this morning. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love each other because love is from God. And everyone loves is born. From God and knows God. The person who doesn't love God does not know God because God is love. And this is how the love of God is revealed to us. God sent his only son into the world so that we could live through him. This is love. it's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice that deals with our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. Very, very important text. I believe among other things that this very short passage answers that question, why are we here? I think it answers that question better than any textbook could ever answer it, any college seminar could ever answer it, any scientific theory out there could ever answer it. It answers, I think, the most fundamental question of life. Church, we are here because God is love. God created this entire world because God is love. And what I mean by that is this. It's in the very nature of love to reciprocate itself. That's what love does. Love grows. Love reciprocates itself and expands. Love breeds love. And you've experienced this in a very practical way. When you are close to your children and you feel the love of your children, do you not then feel the impulse to love and return? When you receive love, do you not feel the impulse to return love and, and love others around you? When you come home in the evening and your spouse kisses you, do your spirits not lift? Do you not have a desire in that moment to help and to love those around you? That's what love does. Love breeds love. And because God's nature is love, God created this world as an expression of that love, as a blessing to us. So here it is. Here's our mission. Here's why we are here. And I'll just allow the words of John to speak in answering that question. He writes, Beloved, since we are loved so much by God because God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But listen, but if we love one another... God lives in us. In other words, his love is perfected in us. So church, what this means is is that we are God's image bearers for the rest of the world. The world may not have seen God, but guess what? The world sees you. The world sees the church. The world sees how we interact with each other. The world sees how we interact with the world. And the reason that we live, the reason that we exist is to reflect that love to the rest of the world. We're to be a picture of God for the world. That's why we're here. And in case you haven't noticed, our world is in desperate need of a picture of love. Here's the thing about love. We are not called to be content to simply sit back and receive God's love. this This is difficult sometimes. Because in a place like this, with a community like this, Kerrville Church of Christ, we receive a lot of God's love. You receive a lot of God's love from this church. There has been a moment in your life, probably at this place or some other congregation that you've been a part of, there's been a time in your life when the train has gone off the track, when things have been difficult, maybe lost a child, maybe lost a spouse, maybe a relationship, a key relationship in your life was just broken. And this church surrounded you and they loved on you and they wouldn't let you go through it alone. And there's great love. There's great an experience of love in that moment. Sometimes you come to this place, to this room, and it's been a particularly difficult week and things are, are rough in your world. <laughs> Maybe you're living in the midst of a pandemic and you come to this room and you begin to sing and you begin to hear the word of God spoken and you can't explain it. You don't know why, you don't know how, but somehow God's love just pours over you. And it's like you're, you're being filled up And you're being changed in that moment. That's God's love working in your life. Some of you have experienced and received God's love through the ministries of this church. And they've shaped you and they've shaped your family. They may have changed the trajectory of your family tree simply from some of the things that have happened through the ministries of this church. And those are wonderful things. But here's the catch, church. We cannot simply be content to sit back and receive All of this love and allow all of God's love to just soak into us for ourselves. These texts from 1 John and others, they remind us that we are called to share God's love with the rest of the world. That's why we are here, because God's love, from the very beginning, God's love was always meant to reach. And I love that expression when we think about the love of God. God's love was meant to reach, and it always has been reaching. From the very beginning. These texts that we read a few moments ago from Genesis. This is the story of God's love reaching into creation for the first time. And even after the train went off the track. And even after things went south. And, and sin came into the world. And, and Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. And you think, well, the story's over there. No, God's love persisted. God begins to initiate this redemptive plan. And a few chapters later in Genesis, we see God's love reaching back into the world. The first time... To one single individual, Abraham. and We read the story about how God's love changed this one single individual, Abraham. And then, but then later on, God's love expands and reaches even further. This time embracing an entire family, an entire nation, the nation of Israel. And then finally through His Son, Jesus Christ, God's love reaches and it embraces the entire world. God's love reaches further and further and further into creation all of the time. Another way to say that, to use another illustration, is if God's light moves further and further into the world and it illuminates the darkness more and more all of the time. I think Paul had this metaphor in mind in 2 Corinthians 4 when he said, God said that light should shine out of darkness. He's the same one who shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the ministry This is the mission of God given to us. We are to take the torches of light that have been placed in our hands and move further and further and further into the world, illuminating this dark space. That's what we are called to do, bringing God's light with us, bringing God's love with us. Now, you may not know this, but but one of the things that is said about this congregation, uh, your reputation precedes you. Uh, I, I've heard about this congregation even before I arrived a few weeks ago when I was preaching before. This is a congregation that's known as a congregation that is very healthy and that is very loving, that is very welcoming, that receives people well, that has the love of God in it, that's obvious. And in my brief time here, I, I've experienced that. I've seen it. I mean it. I mean, you love each other. I mean, the, there are some congregations that I've been to that I've been a part of. They don't love each other. And <laughs> To be frank, sometimes it doesn't appear they even like each other. But you do. And and I see it. It's plain. It's evident. To anyone who comes into this place, you genuinely care about each other. You do life with each other even beyond what happens in this building. You spend time with each other. You You have barbecue contests. I mean, you really enjoy being with each other. And that's a wonderful thing. A byproduct. Sometimes of a congregation like Kerrville Church of Christ that loves each other so much is that sometimes we spend so much time loving each other and sometimes we spend so much time loving and receiving the love of God that sometimes we don't oftentimes love those outside of our building as well as we could. I don't know if that's true about this congregation or not. I know that's true with a lot of places. Can I, can I share one of my, my concerns, or my anxieties for the church right now? It scares me uh, that the church in America, at least, is not growing. I don't mean the church in Texas. I mean the church in America. And the fact of the matter is that the church in America hasn't grown for some time. In fact, one of the things that I teach at ACU is I teach American church history. So I spend a lot of time looking at boring statistics out there. And you may have seen this in the news. For the first time, Uh, The census data has shown that here in in 2020, now the numbers are coming out, and we're beginning to see some things and and interpret some of the numbers. For the first time in American history, the number of people that claim membership to a Christian church dipped below 50% for the first time in American history. For most of American history, it's hovered around 72 to 75%. And in fact, in the year 2000, it was still at 70%. And it's been consistent that way really, really from the beginning of the American uh, nation when it began. In 2020, that number is 48%. It's, it's a stark nosedive. For the first time in American history, those who claim to be members of a Christian church is below 50%. The so called growth. Uh, that some congregations receive is really not growth from people that weren't Christians, but now they are Christians. It's this Christian or this Christian family moving from this place to that place. That's typically how growth happens in our part of the world. Very few non-Christians in America are suddenly joining the family of faith, and we could we could talk about reasons for that all afternoon. And there's not just one. There are probably multiple reasons for that. Some people have been turned off by scandals in the church. Some are less and less interested in the so-called institutional form of church. Others might be turned off by the hypocrisy of church. Some people are are frustrated with the blending of politics and religion. And there's probably truth in all of those things. But I think there's maybe one more, perhaps more pervasive reason for the church's stagnation. And I'm just going to say it. I think that Christians in America today are less concerned with the non-Christians than we once were. We just are. And here's the reality. We're not growing, and to be honest, it doesn't concern us that much. We're still very content. We're very content to sit back and bask in the glow of God's love, those things that God is doing that is blessing us and, and blessing our family, and the way we're surrounded by a wonderful community like this. And oftentimes, sometimes, we are less concerned that there are others outside these walls that need that love of God every bit as much as we do. Church, I have a challenge for you. This year, I want you to make a concerted, intentional effort to engage in the reach of God's love. I want you to reach out with God's love in, in more intentional ways than you have ever done before. I want you to get serious about, listen, I want you to get serious about forming relationships with non-Christian people. Now, I want to be specific about that because other studies have been done that show this. The longer someone is a Christian, the fewer and fewer non-Christian acquaintances that person has. In fact, studies will show that when a person has been a Christian for about 10 years, they have virtually no non-Christian friends. That's a problem in this conversation. If we want to engage people that do not know the love of God, we need to be in close association with people that do not know the love of God. So my challenge to you, church, is that you are very intentional, that you are strategic in your efforts to engage people that do not know God. I want you to find those people in your orbit. And I want you to bring them to this place. I want you to bring them to this congregation. I want you to introduce them to your brothers and sisters in this room. I want you to allow them to encounter the love of God, pouring over them in this moment of worship. And maybe after they've had a particularly difficult season in their life. Allow them to experience that love pouring in on them. Allow them to get connected with one of your Bible classes or smaller groups. Take them to one of your potlucks. Remember potlucks? Bring them to the pitmaster competition. Show them God's love together. And folks, when they bring them here, you need to receive them well. You must reorient your vision away from our comfort to others. Be on the lookout for people that you don't know. Welcome them. Invite them to sit with you. Invite them to lunch with you. Invite them into your homes. And in doing these things that seem like small things, in doing these things, you are showing them the love that was once shown to you. You're bringing them into the family of faith. So here specifically is this challenge. Over the next calendar year, I want you to commit yourself to sharing God's love with at least one person intentionally. Now you say, my goodness, I show the love of God to multiple people on any given day. No, I want you to be specific and I want you to be intentional with at least one person. I want you to think of one person in your life that does not know God or someone that once knew God but has rejected God for whatever reason. I want you to commit to pray for that person every day. Write their name down. Put it on your mirror let it be the first thing you see when you wake up in the morning. Pray for that person every day and commit to find ways to introduce them or reintroduce them to the person of God. I want you to commit to helping that person find a strong Christian community in which he or she is able to grow. That's the challenge for you, not just for the adults, for the teenagers here, for the children here if you're listening to this and you're not doing something else right now. Be intentional about finding ways to extend the reach of God's love. Why are we here? We are here to extend the reach of God's love. That's why we exist. That's why the church is here. Period. I really look forward to hearing the stories of what God does through this congregation. Isn't it exciting to think what could happen when a congregation filled with however many people are in this room? I'm going to give you a preacher count. Maybe there's a thousand people here this morning. What does it look like when a room full of people are intentional and strategic about Spreading the love of God to those that don't even know it exists. Wow. What could God do there? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you for the ways in which that exemplified and provided a picture of your love more than anything else in the history of the world. God, in that moment, you sacrificed everything. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would give those of us in this room the courage we need to extend the reach of your love. Continue that mission. Engage that mission that you've already initiated. God, we thank you so much for your love. Thank you for giving it to us and allowing us to receive it in the ways that it's changed us. God, give us the courage and the opportunity to extend it even further to those around us. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. In a moment, uh, we're going to sing a song together. and We want to give you the opportunity to respond in whatever way God is calling you to respond. Uh, It could be that this is the day that you want to accept God's love in a profound way and put on Christ in baptism, boy, we'd love nothing else than to help facilitate that process. It could be that you really just need the love of God this morning. Something's going on in your world, and you need people to surround you and pray with you and to love on you. We want to do that as well. And this body of Christ can help you in any of these ways. We invite you to come as we stand together and sing.